0: Amen! 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 Let's give a hand for our Christian school. We just had that, that ride installed, in case you at the new Christian school. You can no, that's a from West Edmonton Mall. Just kidding, shameless plug for West Edmonton Mall. There, uh, we've been uh, we're getting a little bit hot on the microphone. We have to take that down just a wee bit. Um, we've been on our new series called "The Cross Shaped Life," and Pastor Maddie. Last week, just preached a great message. I was able to go online and listen to that. It was excellent calling us to understand that uh, we're all called to live a cross-shaped life. And what does that really mean? You know, Jesus invited us in uh, Luke 9. He says, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. So I started thinking about that, like really, what does it mean that we are to have a cross-shaped life? And uh, doesn't it make sense that if Jesus invites us to follow him, that he would actually first set the standard as to what a cross-shaped life would look like? Amen? So I started thinking about that, and then it brought me to this passage, which we're going to be in for at least the next two weeks, talking about how Jesus lived his cross-shaped life and his invitation to you and to me. If you have your Bible, we're going to be in Philippians chapter 2. Today, I'm going to read from verse 5 to 11. Next week, I'm going to look at the surrounding verses, but this week, we're going to look at verse 5 to 11. Let me read the whole thing, and then we're going to talk it through as to what it means to live a cross shaped life. Consider the example that Jesus, the anointed one, has set before us. Let his mindset become your motivation. He existed in the form of God, yet he gave no thought to seizing equality with God as his supreme prize. Instead, he emptied himself of his outward story by reducing himself to the form of a lowly servant. He became a human. He humbled himself and became vulnerable, choosing to be revealed as a man and was obedient. He was a perfect example even in his death, a criminal's death by crucifixion. Because of that obedience, God exalted him and multiplied his greatness. He has now been given the greatest of all names. The authority of the name of Jesus Christ, every knee will bow in reverence. Everything and everyone will one day submit to this name in the heavenly realm, in the earthly realm, and then the demonic realm. And every tongue will proclaim in every language, Jesus Christ is Lord Yahweh, bringing glory and honor to God, his Father. Amen? Amen. I was thinking about this scripture and I started thinking about the show, Undercover Boss. Has anybody ever seen the show, Undercover Boss? Anyway, if you haven't seen the show, and many of you have, in Undercover Boss, basically the boss of a large company or corporation puts on a disguise, you know, literally gets a haircut, changes his hair color, shaves a beard, does all kinds of things, puts on a disguise, and then goes into the various departments with, within his company to kind of see what's happening within his company and to participate in uh, from shipping to to the creation of whatever they do in that company. And uh, at the end of the story, basically all the people that he interacted with over the few weeks that he's in the company in various places are called to the head office and to lo and behold, to their shock and amazement, the undercover boss is revealed. And they're like, oh, I never knew. I just thought you were this useless guy they hired to work in the shipping department, but now I see that you were really... The undercover boss revealed. And that's really what this scripture is really all about. Jesus, the boss, goes undercover. And he goes undercover and becomes a man. He literally leaves his glory in heaven, which we'll talk about in a moment. He becomes a man and lives a life of servanthood, a life of obedience, a life of vulnerability, a life that is basically the display of how to live a cross-shaped life. And then he invites us to follow him in that example and that expression. And so this is kind of foundational Christianity, this series that we're talking about. But let's pray and see what it means to live a cross-shaped life. First, by looking at how Jesus did it and how we can join him in that. So Father, right now, as I uh, reflect on what you want to accomplish in the hearts and minds of your people, I pray, Holy Spirit, that all of us would come to a revelation today that the cross is really the path to life. It's not the path to stay in death and mourning, and brokenness. It's actually the way that you have established for us to come into life and life abundant. And so I pray, Holy Spirit, that you will give us all spiritual eyes to see and spiritual ears to hear and spiritual hearts that respond to the truth of your word today and embrace it, that spirit of wisdom and revelation filling the congregation today. We say thank you, thank you, thank you. In Jesus' name. And the church said, amen. amen. Here's the first thought I had before we really peer into the text. It's, uh, it's kind of a, an interesting thought when you consider it. Number one is this, Jesus lived a cross-shaped life long before he went to the cross in this life. He actually lived a cross-shaped life. And, uh, you know, it's interesting when you look at scriptures like Hebrews 13, 8 that basically say, that long, be, you know, basically the Lamb of God was slain before the creation of the world. So even the fact that we are created, even the fact that we have life, even the fact that we have breath was established and started because Jesus came to die for you and I. And so we kind of get this marvel of like, wow, Jesus actually started life knowing that one day he would die. First Peter tells us even this to a greater degree. It says, For you know that it was not with perishable things such as silver or gold that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your forefathers, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. He was chosen before the creation of the world, but was revealed in these last times for your sake. So Jesus created the world, created mankind, knowing that one day he would have to die for us. He actually created us with that understanding. We need to understand that actually before anything ever started, God knew in that creating us and desiring to have fellowship with us, that it would cost him his life. You say, how can God die? Well, we'll get there in a minute. How did Jesus do that? You see, the cross displays God's willingness to lay down his life so that we might enjoy life with him. Isn't that awesome? That even before he created you, he knew that he would have to lay down his life for you. In that sense, how many of you know Jesus was born to die? He was born to die. So how did Jesus carry his cross in this life? If he's meant to be our example, if he's meant to be uh, the one that, you know, is is showing what a cross-shaped life is, this scripture really lays out how he did it. And here's the first thing. How did he carry his cross in this life? Number one is he emptied himself. The scripture put it this way. He exists in the form of God, yet gave no thought to seizing equality with God as his supreme prize. Instead, he emptied himself of his outward glory by reducing himself to the form of a lowly servant. He willingly laid down his glory in order to become what he was intended to become, which was to become your Savior and my Savior and the Savior of mankind. He emptied himself of this glory, the glory of being God. You see, God preexisted before anything else existed. God exists He's always has been, he always will be, and he always was. And uh, he existed in the, and, and in the mind of God, and we know this, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, the Trinitarian nature of God, so united in purpose, so united in love, so united in, in power and grace and mercy, so united that they actually are one God. They came and they said, you know what we're going to do? We're going to open up life for humanity to actually live in life, in community, in communion with you and I, the three of us are gonna actually open up life into this world to mankind. And so this is who Jesus is. So in order to do that, they come up with this plan where he leaves his glory behind, leaves his God identity and all those things that that represents and becomes a human being. And I, I just want you to understand, if this is the first step for him in carrying the cross, what does that mean? What did Jesus empty himself of? I was thinking about the names of Jesus. The names of Jesus, you can look them up, you can, you can study them. They're all scriptural references to these unique names of Jesus Christ. And I want to just share a few of them with you to kind of give you a picture of what he actually laid down in order to reach you and bring you salvation. The Bible calls him the Almighty One. Who was and who is and who is to come, the Almighty One, Revelation 1-8. He is the Alpha and the Omega, Revelation 118. He is the first and the last, the beginning and the end, the A to Z and everything in between. He is the authority of heaven, it says in Matthew 28:18. He is the beloved Son of God in Matthew uh, 3:17. He is the chief cornerstone, the stone which the builders have rejected, but he's come to bring life in Psalm 118-22. He is the faithful and the true one. I saw heaven standing open, and therefore before me was a white horse whose rider was called Faithful and True. With justice he judges and wages war, Revelation nineteen eleven. He is the great high priest. He is the great I am. Jesus said before Abraham was even born, I am. And he was Emmanuel. He was the indescribable gift in 2 Corinthians nine fifteen. He is the judge of all mankind. He is the judge of all the living and all the dead. He is the king of kings and the Lord of Lords, Revelation 17, 14. He's the Lamb of God, the light of the world, the Lord of all, the Messiah, the Mighty One. Hallelujah. This is what he laid down. He is our hope. He is our peace. He is our prophet. He's our redeemer. He's our rock. And I love this scriptural reference of what he laid down. He is the supreme creator of all. Listen to what it says in Colossians 1, 16. By him, all things were created, both in the heavens and on the earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. This is what he laid down. This is what he emptied himself of. Why? You see, the angels of God, I, I can imagine I can't actually imagine, but I, in my limited imagination, can you imagine the angels of God going, "What is God doing?" When they see him born as a baby in a manger, helplessly, leaving behind his glory in order to become a human being. Why would he empty himself? For what? The scripture goes on and tells us what he did in his cross-shaped life. He came as a servant. It says instead he emptied himself of his outward glory by reducing himself to the form of a lowly servant. That word can be either translated as servant or it can be translated as slave. It doesn't matter either way. Think of how secure, listen to me, church, how secure Jesus was in his identity in order to do what he did. I mean, I love the scripture, and Pastor Matty referenced it last week, but I want to read it to you. It's in John 13. It says, Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power, and he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, and wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin, and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. Why do I love that scripture? That scripture is one of the greatest scriptures that shares the identity of Jesus Christ. Listen to what it said. Knowing that all things were in his power... Knowing that he had come from heaven, that he was the King of kings and the Lord of lords, the supreme creator of all, knowing he had all that, and knowing that one day he would return, he actually got up. He took off his outer garment. He exposed himself in that way, wrapped a towel around his waist, and served his disciples by washing their feet. The humility of God is astounding. I want you to understand something. When Jesus became a man, he never never lost his divinity. He just chose not to access or use that divinity for the rest of his time on earth. It was always present. So when we see Jesus coming as a servant, I want you to understand that it actually reflects the character of God. This is God! God! God saying to all of us who are so wrapped up in our identities, so wrapped up in our securities, he's saying, I have laid, I have everything. I am the supreme creator of all. But I've come amongst you as one who serves. I will wash your feet. The dirt and the muck and the stuff that is on your feet. I will expose myself, make myself vulnerable to you. And I will serve you. What an example we see in Jesus. You see this un- idea of the, of the servanthood of God, you guys. This idea of the suffering servant coming to humanity. Do you understand that the, in the early days that the, the Jewish people never got this part of God's nature? They saw him as the King Supreme, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, but they never understood that he came as the suffering servant. And so when Jesus came, they didn't see him. They couldn't understand him. They they, they lost sight of that. And yet throughout the scriptures, this promise of God coming as a servant is all throughout the Old Testament. Even Isaiah 42 says, Here's my servant whom I uphold, my chosen one in whom I delight. Jesus Christ himself said, for even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. He emptied himself of his divine position and identity in order to display the identity of servanthood to us in his cross-shaped life. What else happened? Well, the scripture said he humbled himself. Listen to this. He humbled himself and became vulnerable. We've already talked about that. Choosing to be revealed as a man, and and he was obedient. He was a perfect example even in his death, a criminal's death by crucifixion. The word humble literally means submissive. And the word submissive is just an easy word that means Jesus came to support the mission. That's what submission is. It means to come underneath and lift up and support a mission, amen? Amen? And so Jesus is supporting a mission, a mission that God sent him on. And here's the first part of that. According to that verse we just read, he became a man. He became a man. In order to rescue men, he had to become a man. And so Bill Bright shares this story, and you've probably heard this story many times, but uh, the story is of a Hindu man who was very devout in his, his, his sect of Hinduism, and they had a deep reverence for all of life. So they wouldn't smash a bug, they wouldn't step on a cockroach, they wouldn't swat a mosquito, because it could be a past relative being reincarnated. So they had this deep reverence for life. He came to America, this Hindu man, and he heard about the claims of Jesus Christ and was confronted with them. And one thing he couldn't comprehend is how the Creator Supreme, God in their, in their religion who had evolved to this point of Godhood, why he would possibly become a man. He couldn't comprehend how he would do that. So one day he was walking in a field and he noticed a large anthill. And in seeing that large anthill, he started, started looking at the ants and marveled at the ants and their organization and all the things that they were doing, all these wonderful things that they were about. And then all of a sudden, he heard a noise and he was startled by it. He turned around and he saw a tractor in the distance that was starting up and plowing the field. And so he realized quickly that this anthill was right in the path of the tractor. And he was saying, oh my goodness, what can I do? All these ants are going to be killed. Their home is going to be destroyed. I have to do something. And so he thought, you know, I can't write on the dirt. If I write on the dirt, they're not going to fully understand it. They can't understand writing. And then if I shout at them, they're not going to get that either. They can't hear. So then he has this epiphany, this thought, if I could only become an ant, I could go down and warn them to move. And in that instant he realized why God had to become a man. And he came to faith. Wow, that God would become a man in order that I might hear him and hear the warning that he would lead me into. He becomes a man. And then it goes on and says in the text, how else did he become humbled? He became humbled and he became vulnerable. You know, vulnerable has both a negative and a positive connotation, doesn't it? Vulnerable negatively means capable of being physically harmed or even attacked. You don't want to be vulnerable in that sense. You don't want to get harmed. You don't want to get attacked. But positively, to be vulnerable means to put yourself out there, to be open to possibilities and opportunities. Well, Jesus came and lived a vulnerable life as a man, He opened up life in a life of mercy, of truth, of love, of kindness, of wonder, and awe of God, and life with God. You see, I think Jesus was the most human human who ever lived. But I want you to understand the greatest vulnerability that God actually displays. No one in the universe loves more than God. He is the most loving being in all the universe. And in that love, he is utterly risking that people will reject him. Because of the greatness of his love, he's actually opening himself up to people saying, I don't really care what you did for me. I don't want you to do that for me. I'm I'm just gonna risk this. This is what he's saying to humanity. And you know, all of us are left with this kind of impression like, you know, I'm a life that Jesus was vulnerable enough to die for. How am I living that life? You know, it reminds me of a story of a soldier who uh, in the, during the Vietnam War, uh, there was a grenade thrown into a, you know, his foxhole and he jumped on the grenade to save the man next to him and lost his life in doing so. And later on, uh, the man who was saved went and visited the parents of this soldier. And when he was visiting them, he was, he was not, you know, he kind of started off by saying, I'm very thankful that your son died for me. But then he went in a rant about how wicked the government is and how terrible things are and, and how evil this is. And he and he's basically was just spewing this stuff, to this, these parents that were just sitting listening to him. And after he left, they looked at one another and said, our son gave his life for this man to have life. And I think we have to pause for a moment at the vulnerability of God and look at our lives and say, you know, what kind of life am I living based on the fact that Christ sacrificed his life to give me life? And I know that's a bit convicting. It's not meant to be condemning, but it's a bit sobering, isn't it? I want to be that one that just stands before God and say, I'm so thankful, I'm so thankful, I'm so thankful that you died for me, Jesus. He was vulnerable. He was obedient to even death and even death on a cross. He emptied himself, he became a servant, and he humbled himself to become a vulnerable, obedient man. Even when it was hard, and don't kid yourself, it was hard when he was sweating sweat drops of blood and breaking blood vessels in his head because of the stress. And he says, God, if, if it be possible, take this cup from me. But he says, but yet not my will be done, your will be done. And Jesus went to the cross, and he died. What was the result of his coming? What was the result of Jesus living the cross-shaped life? Listen to what this great scripture says. Because of his obedience, God exalted him and multiplied his greatness. Can you imagine? He has now been given the greatest of all names. The authority of the name of Jesus causes every knee to bow in reverence. Everything and everyone will one day submit to his name in the heavenly realm, in the earthly realm, and in the demonic realm. And every tongue will proclaim in every language Jesus Christ is Lord Yahweh, bringing glory and honor to God, his Father. Hallelujah. What's Christ's status after living the cross-shaped life? God exalts him. God lifts him up. God says, because you came, because you died to self, because you were obedient, I will not forget it, yet I will celebrate it both now and in eternity, for eternity, you shall have a name that is above all names. And at that name, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess and every human being, every demon, every person who's ever lived, every person who's ever breathed, every creature shall exalt Jesus Christ as the King of Kings and the Lord of lords. Every tongue confess Jesus is coming. He came first as the undercover boss. <laughs> the suffering, submissive, obedient servant will no longer be the undercover boss, but he will be revealed as the King of kings and the Lord of lords. This is what Jesus did to usher in and to bring the kingdom of God to you and to me. What's the point? What's the point of all this, Pastor? Well, he came as our example and pattern and calls us to live a cross-shaped life as well. I skipped this verse when I was starting because I wanted to give you the example first, but verse five actually says this. And consider the example that Jesus, the anointed one, has set before us. Let his mindset become your motivation. The word mindset in the Greek is very interesting. It means attitude, phronial, attitude, mind, and will, and emotions, feelings, and embodiments of the body. It's mean, it basically is saying, take every part of you, your mind, your emotions, your feelings, your thoughts, even your physical body, and live it in such a way that brings glory and honor to the King of kings and the Lord of lords who died for you. Now, now, if you start like me, if you're like me and you start hearing that, you're like, oh my gosh, here we go. Here's this unlivable religious thing that Pastor Greg's talking about that none of us can ever attain to. I'm not talking about that. Do you understand that the invitation to a cross-shaped life is actually invitation to life? It's about laying down your self-centeredness and being emboldened and empowered by your connection and relationship with the king of glory that will empower you to stop being self-centered and to live an othered and God-centered life. See, here's what it means that Jesus gave us that example. Number one, he calls us to empty ourselves. Amen? He's not only our example, church, he's our life. And so when he comes in you in the form of the Holy Spirit, when you invite him into your life, He's going to help you to live this life. But he's saying you need to actually make a decision. You need to make a, ch- a choice as to whether you're going to live as my disciple. Now, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to just really scrape off some sand here, guys. I'm going to scrape off some things off the foundation, okay? You choose whether you're a disciple of Jesus Christ or not. See, it's very simple to make Jesus Savior. Confess your sin. God, forgive me. Uh, Come into my life. Forgive me of my sins. He comes in instantaneously. He comes and lives in you. Amazing. And so many believers then think, I'm finished. You are not finished. Now you choose the second part, which is, will he be Lord? Will he be Lord of my life? And to be Lord of your life, he has to be in charge. (laughs) But here's the amazing thing, the crazy thing about it. He actually puts you in charge and says, are you willing to put me in charge? It's your choice. And so every day, Greg Fraser has to choose whether he will empty himself of himself and embrace a cross-shaped life, or he will carry on with his own self-centeredness every single day, sometimes 10 times a day. that's just me, forgive me, your pastor is very imperfect. See, he understands the cross and the cost and he calls us to that hallelujah. You know, when I took my two-year discipleship course at Renovari, they actually interviewed me. (laughs) I just didn't apply and get in. They actually interviewed me to see if I really was serious about living a cross-shaped life. I had to go through this like interview. (laughs) Do you understand what you're actually saying you're willing to do? And I'm like, "Mm, I think so. And then I started to learn really what they were saying is, you actually have to choose whether you're a disciple. Dallas Willard says this amazing quote. He says, you know, many people avoid discipleship because of the cost of being a disciple. But then he goes on and says this, but many people have not really reflected on the cost of non-discipleship. What's the cost of not living as a disciple? You know, what's the cost of not laying my life down? We need to do that. You know, Jesus put it this way in Matthew chapter 16. Whoever is bent on saving his temporal life, his comfort and security here, shall lose it for eternal life. Whoever loses his life, his comfort and security here, for my sake, shall find it in everlasting life. The Message Bible puts it a little more clearly. Let me read it to you out of that. Jesus went to work on his disciples. Anyone who intends to come with me has to let me lead. You're not in the driver's seat, I am. Don't run from suffering, embrace it. Follow me and I'll show you how. Self help is no help at all. Self sacrifice is the way, my way, to finding yourself, your true self. What kind of deal is it to get everything you want but lose yourself? What could you trade for your soul? Wow. (laughs) The cost of non discipleship. What's the price? The cost of peace, the cost of purpose, the cost of life and life abundant in this life and for eternity. Now, here's the thing. Can I give you a little bit of hope right now? Um, if this bothers you, good. It's a good sign. If you're going, oh my God, what am I doing? Oh, I don't even know. am I even saved? I don't know. You're saved. If this bothers you, good. If you're sitting there going, when is this guy gonna be finished? This is stupid. I don't wanna hear anymore. That's a fearful and terrible place to be right now. Don't live there. Here's a little quote for you. Jesus was born to die, but we are born again to die to self in order that his life might be expressed through us. That's the cross-shaped life. And then he calls us not only to empty ourselves, and by the way, church, listen to me. We live in a world, and I'm gonna talk about this a little bit more next week. We live in a world that is so... Uh, centered on its identity. And we think, you know, the identity crisis in our world today is not a gender issue, by the way. There's an identity crisis that goes far beyond gender because so many of us want to hang on to our identity. My identity as a businessman, my identity as a fill-in-the-blank. Fill it in. Jesus is actually saying there's only one identity that matters, and this, if you want to live the life with me, you've got to live that identity, and that identity is you are a child of God. Every other identity dies. Every other identity is laid down. That's what he's saying. So he calls us then to live as servants, church. Servanthood is the master's master principle. In every area of your life, homework, church, neighborhood, doesn't matter, whether you're a boss, an employee, a husband or wife, a child or a parent, a millionaire or just making it, live as a servant. This is the cross-shaped life. I love this thought. As Christians, you don't exist to model a moral superior life. You exist to model a life of servanthood. As you follow Christ, your life will become morally superior to those around you. But that's not... The evidence, the evidence is servanthood.
1: It's quiet in here.
0: <laughs> A very awkward laugh. He calls us to live humbly, vulnerably, and obediently. Live humbly. You know, living humbly is not thinking less of yourself. But it's thinking about yourself less. That's humility. It actually just means I'm not going to think so much about myself. How many of you are so self-centered that you're just consumed with things? You know, like we were talking about today, you know, when we're watching the news, it always drives us to fear. It drives us to fear because we look at ourselves as the solution and we're looking at the world that's going right to hell. The whole world is heading headlong in a disastrous path, and we're all going, oh, my God, oh, my God, oh, my God. And God's like, stop looking at yourself and look to me. But the news is saying, I don't, look at your Bible. That's the news you need to be reading. Okay, okay, live humbly, live vulnerably, risk intimacy and authenticity and openness. Now listen to me, very, 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 very important. You hear what I'm about to say. Dying to self doesn't mean trying harder. That's dead religion. It will not work. (laughs) I always say to our staff, I always say, you know, if you try to crucify yourself, you just end up with a worse form of self, with holes in it. It's not good. You can't do it. But you know what living vulnerably means. It actually means that you invite Christ into every room in your life and you're open and honest about it. God, I actually love Doritos more than you. God, I love pornography more than you. God, I live in fear more than I live in faith and it affects how I give and how I serve. You see, that's being vulnerable. And what the amazing thing is, is that Jesus will meet us in that spot and say, thank you for being honest and worshiping me in spirit and in truth. And now let's go forward from this point. You know, you can be the most wrecked person in life, if you will but invite Christ in and then say, let's take the next step together. That's vulnerability. It's not about perfection, church. It's about brokenness. Oh God, thank you that you love me in the midst of my addiction. Thank you that you love me in the midst of my anger. Thank you that you love me in the midst, but I can't stay there because it's killing me. So I bring it to you and I bring it to the cross and in bringing it to the cross, Listen to me, church, on the other side of the cross, there's this beautiful thing, it's called resurrection. When I bring my death honestly and openly to the Lord, he gives me life. But when I hide and I cling and I protect that, which I'm, I'm afraid for Jesus to see, there's no life there. He calls us to be vulnerable and he calls us then to be obe- obedient. And th- first of all, that, 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 that vulnerability leads us not only to acknowledge these things before God, but eventually you'll start to acknowledge them before one another. And that's why James 5.16 says this, confess and acknowledge how you have offended one another and then pray for one another to be instantly healed for tremendous power is released through the passionate heartfelt prayer of a godly believer. Not only am I confessing my sin to God, I begin to come to the point of brokenness and vulnerability where I actually have people in my life, maybe in your care group, maybe a one-on-one discipleship thing, where you're saying, you know what, man? I'm so stuck in this mindset. I'm so stuck in this trap. I confess this to you so that Christ can heal me. And God says, amen. I'm gonna tell you, church, there's power in living this life. And then he ends it by saying, live obediently. I want to warn you and I want to tell you and I want to plead with you. Whatever you try and hide and keep will be burned up anyway. You might as well learn to give it up now. (laughs) You see, you're the boss of your own life. You know, I actually think the song, Jesus, Take the Wheel, is wrong. He said, I gave you the wheel. Will you yield it to me? Do you understand? You can't just throw the, your hands off. He actually says, you're in partnership with me, but I'll tell you how to steer. And I'll tell you when to brake. And I'll tell you when to turn left and when to turn Right because you're in charge of your own life. It's one of the gifts of God. You're the boss. Will you go undercover in this world and begin to live as a disciple? That's the invitation of the Holy Spirit. Will you live with and for self or will you live with and for God? It's your choice. It's your choice. You see, Jesus, the boss, is coming. He's been living undercover, but he's about to be revealed. That's what the book of Revelation is all about, by the way. It's the revelation of the one that we thought was our buddy and our pal and winked at all of our sins.
1: Oh, he's the king of kings and the Lord of lords. He was living in me.
0: You know, if we will bow our knee willingly, joyfully, submissively, vulnerably, obediently now, we won't have to do it with any exerting of our life on that day. Amen? This is what discipleship is all about, church. This is what you're being invited into. So I want to close today we got 10 minutes. I'm gonna ask the band to come back. We're gonna play that last song you guys did. And here's how we're gonna close today. We're actually gonna just sing this song and we are just gonna open up the altar. (laughs) Nobody's gonna pray with you. Nobody's gonna lay hands on you. They might, if you feel led to, go for it. But this is between you and God. You need to make a decision. And the word decision is a Latin word, decatur. It means to cut yourself off from any other alternative. That's what this decision is. You cut the alternative and you say, God, I'm not gonna, every day I'm just gonna take up my cross and I'm gonna learn to follow you. I'm going to stop living a self-centered life and I'm going to live a cross-shaped life because I want to be ready for that day when every knee will bow and every tongue confess. Church, you know why every knee will bow and every tongue will confess? Because they're going to realize on that day that God gave them everything. The, The ability to love Came from God. The ability to create wealth came from God. The ability to breathe came from God. (laughs) Nobody's going to argue with God and say, You're unfair. They're going to bow their knee and they're going to cry out and say, Oh God, why didn't I live my life with and for you when I had the chance? Let's be there, church every one of us. I cannot live this life for you. You cannot live it for me. But together we can live it with him. Amen? So I don't care if you sit down. I don't care if you come forward. I don't care. Whatever you want, if you want to stand and worship, we're going to sing this song, but I'm going to ask you to bow your heads for just a moment because I want to pray for some people here. The Spirit of God is laying on my heart that there are people here that need to do business with God, number one. And you need to say, you know what? I'm a, I'm a, I've been saved, but I've been not living as a disciple. I've not carried my cross. I've been selfish and self-centered. Today's the day where you're gonna make a decision to say I'm gonna start living with and for God instead of living with and for myself. Be bold if that's you. And put up your hand. Maybe you're already doing it, but put up your hand in agreement with those who need to do it. I'm raising my hand to live a cross-shaped life, God. Hallelujah. (laughs) Hallelujah. You can put your hand back down you here today and you're saying, I've never even asked Jesus to come into my life. I've never even invited him in as my savior. I've never even asked him to forgive my sins. I'm just living my own life, but I'm realizing that life is leading me nowhere and I'm in pain and I'm lost and I'm broken and I'm hurt and I need the love of God to come and flood my life. If that is you here today, I need you to raise your hand and acknowledge that before God. It's your act of faith it's reaching and touching and saying, God, I'm, I give up, I surrender. I give you my life. If that's you, raise your hand, yes. Are there others? Yes. Thank you, Lord God. Yes. Thank you, Lord God. Thank you, yes. I see your hands. Thank you. For all of you that raised your hand, or if you've ever raised your hand, you're gonna pray this simple prayer with me. Say, Heavenly Father, thank you for sending your Son, Jesus to die for me. Now help me to live with him and for him. In Jesus' name. Amen. Why not you stand? We're going to sing this song. If you want to build an altar, if you want to stay seated, that's fine. If you want to come forward as an act of faith before the Lord, feel free to do that. Let's, let's sing through this song, brother. The altars are open as we sing.
1: again. my life began. Oh, your grace so free, washes over me, you have made me new, now life begins with
0: Hallelujah. Church, I want to tell you, I, I, I couldn't express it enough today. I wish I could have, but I had to do this cleaning off the foundation first. There is life and life abundant on the other side of this. Amen? Amen. But it starts with a recognition of the death that's in us. It starts with saying, God, forgive me. God, I want to live for you, but I'm so selfish and so self-centered. That's the starting place, church. Amen? And so we willingly say yes to the Lord so that we can come to the other side and find hope and find peace and find life. So don't leave here today condemned. Leave here convicted and say, God, partner with me. Help me to live this life. But don't leave here condemned. Amen? Let's sing this song one more time in faith, knowing that God loves you and accepts you right where you're at. Don't try to change it or fix it yourself. Just give it to Him. Amen. Let's sing it one more time in worship to the Lord. Come on.
1: Heaven had lost <laughs> Then Jesus arose Yes Lord God hallelujah Yes Lord so free washes over. life begins with you with your endless love Yeah, we're free, free forever, when death was arrested, And my life began. Oh, we're free, free forever, and my life began. When death was
0: arrested and my life began. Let's just give the Lord a hand clap in faith right now, church. Amen. Please come back next week and hear the second part of this message. Let God unfold this truth deeper into your heart and being and your life. Amen. God bless your week, church. If you need prayer, come forward. We would love to pray together with you. If you need healing in your life, come forward. We'd love to anoint you with oil and pray for you. Whatever you need. God bless your week, church. Go in the grace and the peace and the knowledge of God. You can pick up your giving receipts. You can sign up for the Revelation Conference. We actually have books here today for the first, I think, 30 or 20-some people that sign up. Did we bring the books? I think we did. Maybe we didn't. Okay, well, we didn't bring the books, so... You can get the book at the office. You can get the book at the church office. And uh, you can do that. God bless you. If you need prayer, come forward. If not, go in the grace and peace of God. Amen and amen.